From VT Digger, I'm Mike Doherty. This is The Deeper Dig. This week, Omicron is in retreat. What happens now? Recent trends in Vermont's COVID-19 case counts have officials feeling optimistic about the course of the pandemic. And while a range of experts warn it would be premature to change our behavior just yet, the nation is likely weeks away from a new transitional phase of the pandemic. And the shift toward managing COVID as endemic rather than epidemic may finally be in sight. When could we get there? And what would it look like? Experts say that depends. First, it's important to talk about where we are now. As of Friday, the state's seven-day average for daily new cases had fallen by more than half since its peak on January 10th. The experts I talked to this week said that's a really promising sign, but it may take several more weeks for hospitalizations and deaths to stabilize, too. We're at this juncture where there's reason for optimism. You can see the caseloads dropping in multiple places in the world, just like ours. And so, you know, hey, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, But I do think we need to temper that by saying that the thing we actually care about, how overworked the hospitals are and the deaths of our friends and neighbors, are still in a bad place and will be that way in a couple weeks. This is Tim Leahy, an infectious disease physician and director of clinical ethics at the University of Vermont Medical Center. What that means is that the measures that we take to slow the pandemic right now need to stay in place. But we should be looking ahead to a time in the not-so-distant future when the drivers for that death and a risk of, of uh, hospital overload are, are going away. And so we can start thinking about starting to relax things a little bit. How much we can relax and which things first, I think, is really going to depend on the epidemiology. The other thing experts said is that even though a downward trend is great to see, the actual amount of transmission right now is still higher than it's been for most of the pandemic. While we look forward to a time when less viruses in our communities, we need to remember COVID is still here. Case rates lower than the peak are far from zero. It is not going away just yet. At Governor Phil Scott's weekly press conference on Tuesday, officials said Vermont's decline is consistent with what we're seeing elsewhere. Other New England states are seeing similar curves, and the nation as a whole is moving the same way. But these numbers still warrant caution. Here's Health Commissioner Mark Levine. You know, we hope that Omicron does what it did in South Africa and some other places and really gets suppressed down to a very low level. But we've also seen what's happened in the UK and other places where it's come down and then it's sort of leveled off and nobody's really sure where it's going. So it's one thing to see our numbers come down and to see the national numbers curving in the same direction. It's another thing to qualify for a level of virus transmission that's below high and substantial, more in the low to moderate range. Because that indicates that a lot has happened in your external environment that will enable you to begin to do all of those things that you want to do more freely once again. Right now, some of the most drastic effects of the Omicron variant are still being felt. Hospitals are still under serious strain. They're dealing with elevated numbers of COVID patients and a diminished workforce. Schools and families are still facing disruptions from widespread staff and student absences because infections are still so high. And fatalities in Vermont keep climbing. As of Friday, the state had reported 54 COVID deaths in January. It's been the third deadliest month of the entire pandemic. I think regionally we are um, seeing a downward trend in cases, and I hope that that's sustained over time. 
I think it's premature, however, to say that we're out of the woods yet. We know that hospitalizations often lag behind cases and are at pandemic highs right now. So we have a long way to go before we can say that the situation has really improved. This is Ann Sawson. She's a public health researcher at Dartmouth College. Ann said our behaviors can still play a role in how quickly we see the numbers come down. Meaning if we keep precautions in place now, we might actually reach a safer baseline more quickly and be better prepared for whatever's next. Models predict the trajectory of epidemics. However, our policy choices and behaviors play an important role in shaping them. And when we relax public health interventions prematurely, we can slow the decline of cases or inadvertently contribute to the next surge. You know, what we saw, if you look back at um, summer 2020, which just feels like, you know, a decade ago at this point in time, what happened is, you know, we relaxed measures at a very high plateau. You know, we saw this downward decline. And so many political leaders across the country dropped restrictions. And then, you know, we went into the next surge at a really high plateau. And so we have to be really careful not to create the conditions for the next surge. What's interesting and what seems really different now from summer of 2020 is that it seems that right now it's interesting that we don't really have that many public health interventions to relax, right? Like we're we're at a point where anything we do is going to really kind of be based on general recommendations and guidelines and then how people choose to adhere to them or not. And I wonder how does that kind of change the calculus and how does that change things in terms of us being in this moment of moving into sort of a different phase? Yeah, although we don't have mitigation strategies in place right now, we do see behavior changes at population level. And if the messaging is that we've turned a corner, we can see our communities um, begin to relax their behaviors prematurely. And so we need to be very careful about communicating where we are in the search at this particular moment. We all hope we've turned a corner, but we're not, we're not there yet. There are a couple specific policies that are likely to change after this wave. More than 30 cities and towns enacted local mask mandates under a new state law passed in November. Those measures have to be renewed every month, and they'll automatically be repealed on April 30th if municipalities don't let them expire first. The state also still recommends that school districts require masks. Those guidelines are scheduled to stay in place at least through February 28th. And unless that date is extended, the state recommends that schools where more than 80% of the eligible population has begun vaccination can then drop their masking rules. As Anne said, we're not there yet. But some experts believe we might be there in a matter of weeks. And when that happens, there's a possibility that the pandemic looks different than it has during previous lulls. There's a range of possibilities here. In the ideal scenario, Vermonters as a whole will be more immune to COVID than they've ever been. It's not going to be too long before virtually everyone has antibodies, either because you got vaccinated or you got COVID or you got both. And once that occurs, transmission is going to go way down. This is Josh White, the chief medical officer at Gifford Healthcare in Randolph. 
Josh said that if a few conditions are met, we could finally begin looking at COVID as endemic rather than epidemic. I don't think it's ever going to go away. You know, I use the term endemic because it's this is with us. This is going to become like influenza and it's going to be a background thing. It's not going to be benign. Um, just like influenza, there's going to be people in every town that die every year. By and large, they're mostly going to be the more vulnerable individuals, but they'll probably be the occasional young person that dies. And we will manage it similar to uh, the way we have influenza. Josh said that even though the virus will still mutate, any new variant would have to be more contagious than Omicron in order to become dominant. If and when that occurs, health systems would be better prepared to handle another epidemic wave thanks to pharmaceutical treatments. He expects the highly effective Pfizer pill, Paxlovid, to become widely available in the coming weeks. Plus, vaccine manufacturers are already making their products more responsive to new variants. And as a general rule, we will be able to rely on existing immunity to a significant degree. It's, it's very unlikely something is going to become completely unresponsive to the vaccines. And the, the current vaccines, you know, they're not as good at protecting you from actually contracting COVID, but they're really good at keeping you out of the hospital and keeping you from dying, which is what really matters. It's really inconvenient to, uh, you know, get a fever and be stuck at home for a few days, but it's a hospitalization and death that are the huge deal. And so new variants are not likely to be super problematic in that respect and we'll be able to respond to them relatively fast. We've got a lot of things in our favor right now that we did not have two years ago. And all of those things are things that we can rely on. That's the ideal scenario, but it's not a guarantee. Other experts said Omicron has been a reminder of COVID's tendency to mutate quickly and unpredictably. Omicron's ability to reinfect so many people who we thought of as immune throws into question how protective it'll actually be against future strains. Here's Tim Leahy. You can totally imagine a scenario in which Omicron gets immune protection for people who had not previously been either vaccinated or infected, and so makes more of the population safer. And so the dangers of any next wave are much smaller. Uh, and that would be fantastic. You can also imagine that the fact that Omicron is able to elude immune responses to previous variants is a sign that Omicron's not going to provide awesome protection against future variants. And where it is between those polar opposites is, I think, an open question. I think we're just going to have to see how good it is or how bad it is and respond to that. If we can't necessarily rely on that natural immunity, it puts even more pressure on vaccines. By now, about 86% of adult Vermonters have had their initial round of shots. But that immunity does wane over time. Experts say living with COVID from here on out means getting boosters. We actually have really good data that's come out in the past week or so, understanding the benefit of boosters in this time period where the Omicron variant is uh, dominant. This is Michael Calderwood, an infectious disease physician who previously led the COVID response at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center. He's referring to new studies released last week by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. We have data looking at individuals presenting with COVID-like illness emergency rooms, urgent cares, and hospitals. And those that are fully vaccinated, including with a booster, are significantly less likely to test positive in all three of those settings. In addition, 
we see significant differences in terms of those who continue to die from COVID-19. The highest rate of death continues to be in those who've had no vaccine. We've seen a little bit of an uptick in those that are more than 180 days out from completion of a two-shot series if they got mRNA. And with that addition of the booster is really where you get the most benefit. And there are some that are beginning to say that it may be that you're going to be advocated to get an annual shot, similar to a flu shot, that this is something you'll get once a year. As of Friday, 63% of Vermont's vaccinated population had received a booster. That's the highest rate in the country. But experts say more people still need to step up for their third shots. Mark Levine, the health commissioner, said Tuesday that he'd like to see that rate hit 90%. The key emphasis continues to be vaccinating as much of the nation and the world as possible so the next new variant with its new Greek name uh, doesn't become an issue that is a game changer again in terms of our scientific approach to how we live. Regardless of which scenario comes to pass, experts agree that a post-Omicron lull would be the time to prepare for the worst. Here's Ann Sossen. We need to build the policy and public health infrastructure to respond to future variants and threats. It's not a question of if, but when we'll confront another variant or experience another pandemic. And we need to be prepared to confront it when that happens. We really need data-driven policies that can turn on when we are at the start of another surge and then off again. And that means not just mask policies, but also policies in place, you know, if we need to engage in social distancing or take other measures. Policies like that may be a long shot. Vermont lawmakers have introduced a bill to establish a data-driven mask mandate, but House and Senate leaders have already said the measure has no path forward this session. But Ann said even without a statewide mandate, Governments can use this time to stockpile and distribute even more masks and rapid tests so we're not caught off guard again. You know, the Biden administration sent out tests and then it decided it would send out masks really late into the surge. We don't have mask policies in place in many states. You know, our testing infrastructure is in shambles. We need the administration to have those things ready to go at the onset of another surge or when we detect another variant. We shouldn't be, you know, mailing out tests after, you know, a lot of public pressure a month into a surge. These things need to be there. I'm just concerned we're coming out of this without having done that work. For a lot of experts, this isn't just about specific policies. It's about a renewed investment in public health. The pandemic hit when health departments across the country had faced years of underfunding. Rebuilding that infrastructure now would help the state prepare for the next crisis. Here's Michael Calderwood. A lot of people have focused on this like a hurricane. A hurricane comes through and there's a lot of promises made. There's an injection of funds that usually lasts a couple of years, but then it goes away. And people really need to be thinking about public health is something we always have a need for. And how do you make sure that it is properly resourced, not over one or two years, but over 10 years and a much longer time horizon. Josh White from Gifford Healthcare said he's more concerned about a future pandemic than another COVID surge. We've learned a lot about how to treat and respond to COVID. But at this point, a global outbreak of some other infectious disease seems inevitable. This is going to happen again. It has happened 
periodically throughout human history. It's just going to be faster now. And are we going to be in a place where we have infrastructure where we don't manufacture, you know, half of our PPE in China? You know, are we going to have supply systems for pharmaceuticals and PPE? Are we going to be ready to respond with adequately funded and staffed public health systems? You know, in a state, for instance, when this hit, the state had no ability to respond with the necessary contact tracing, et cetera, et cetera. The citizenry and the hospitals and the governmental infrastructure in Vermont stepped up to the plate pretty fast, but they weren't ready when it happened. There were no stockpiles of masks. There were no staff ready to start making these phone calls or contact tracing. And, you know, are we going to learn from this? Are we going to invest in this? Um, I have to say I'm kind of skeptical. You can read more about what comes after Omicron at vtdigger.org and find all of our COVID coverage in one place at vtdigger.org slash coronavirus. You're listening to The Deeper Dig, a weekly podcast from the VT Digger newsroom. Search for it and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll get new episodes as soon as they land. We use music this week by Blue Dot Sessions. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Digger newsroom. See you then.